for sure. Um, well, my name's Josh. If you haven't seen my videos, I do Blender hard surface modeling tutorials. Uh, I live in Florida. Um, I've been doing Blender since I actually got started in freshman year of high school. Maybe it was eighth grade. It was eighth or ninth grade. I was taking this AutoCAD class. And um, most of you probably know AutoCAD in high school. And honestly, I didn't like AutoCAD. The class was cool. Like the 3D stuff was awesome, which I enjoyed. Um, so literally every day in that class, I was just using Blender, learning Blender. Because like my back then, I wanted to be a game developer. So Blender was like the best choice to go with. And my teacher was nice enough to let me just use Blender um, basically the whole time. So that was pretty cool. Um, so I've been using Blender for 11, 12 years at this point. And um, really, I've just been focusing mainly on education, teaching people hard service modeling, and um, just really kind of being more of an entrepreneur and an artist at the same time type of thing. So when we uh, talk about Blender, this is almost like one of the hugest parts of uh, 3D community uh, today. And uh, I think over the last couple of years even, uh, it became even bigger. It's like there, there's something going on uh, in the community, something going on in the just public interest to this software that we've seen an incredible kind of like uptick in uh, people trying to learn it, you know, download it, play around with it, read stories about it and so on. And um, my, my question might be a little bit broad, but since you had this experience working with Blender for such a long time, um, why do you think it it's so popular among uh, people who are trying to learn 3D? Well, I can at least speak from my experience. The reason I started Blender was because I was a broke high school kid and I didn't have any money. And, um, you know, the fact that it was... You rarely do you find a software that's free and also has the level of capabilities that Blender has. Usually there's like some catch, but Blender's the real deal and it's free. So the barrier to entry is very low. Anyone can download Blender, play with it, figure out if they like it or not. And, um, you know, eventually if they want to move to like paid tools or paid software or whatever, it kind of provides that bridge. So... The fact that Blender is just as good as these softwares, if not better in some aspects, and that basically anyone can get started with Blender for free, I think that's definitely a big selling point for Blender. Um, so, And that's personally why I got started as well, because back then I didn't really have any money for the other software. I was on the student licenses and things like that. And it just kind of got me started with 3D in general and really allowed me to figure out, is this something I want to continue with or not? And I think that's the case for most people, at least people I teach on YouTube, is they, you know, they see Blender's free. Everyone's kind of getting into Blender and it just provides them an opportunity to, you know, see if this is something they enjoy. You kind of mentioned uh, a couple of things here and I want to dissect. So the the main point that is uh, affordable, basically it's free, right? So it's a nonprofit. And um that definitely lowers the barrier and everybody can kind of jump in and try to explore. Uh, but the other thing you mentioned is that it's so versatile. And uh, if you go on like the official website, there's um, so many features that it has. And I'm just going like very large scale. It's 
not just about modeling, right? So you can do animation, you can do rendering, there is like VFX, there's simulation, there's like almost, you can do like the entire CGI film in it. And um, do you feel like this is a benefit in a way, or is this more like a thing that maybe giving you a little bit too much since you are focusing on uh, hard surface modeling? I mean, we can go and say that there is like Moto tools, there is like 3S Max or Maya or something else available that can do, um, you know, that can be used for this uh, tasks, right? Um, do you feel like having so much in this software, it, does it distract users or maybe it kind of like a little bit increases the learning curve? Right, right. Um, I don't know if you remember back in the day, Blender had its game engine, which... Um, yeah, plus that as well. They yeah. kind of failed, like nobody was using it. And I think they just eventually stopped the development on it altogether. And I think that's simply because software like Unity or Unreal just did it better. I mean, Blender just couldn't compete in that aspect. And that's okay. Um, so I think it's a matter of if there's a better software that can get the job done, I always tell people it doesn't matter what software you use. I'd recommend using the tools available at your disposal to and just kind of combining them all together to really get the most robust workflow possible. So, you know, Blender can do a lot of cool stuff. VFX, animation, modeling, video edit. I think it still does video editing. I haven't used it. Um but if there's a better software out there or a tool you can use in conjunction or an add-on, whenever that may be, to really get the best workflow possible, I think that's probably the best way to go. Because like you said, Blender does so many different things. And when you're when you kind of hit everything, you never really focus down on that one thing and make that really good. Um, you know, there's limitations in hard surface modeling in Blender as well. I've made videos on CAD software before where there's just superior tools at your dispense. So what I've been doing recently is kind of combining, you know, when necessary. You know, 90% of my workflow might be in Blender, but another 10% might be in Moi 3D or plasticity or substance paint or whatever I'm using for my particular workflow. I can really pick up the slack uh, using other software. So... I don't think Blender is necessarily lacking. I think you need to use what's available with Blender and use any other tool at your dispense and uh, just get the best workflow possible. Josh, so I don't know if you followed us on, but we actually did a bunch of talks with people who were actually doing just hard surface. Uh, I think Warren Marshall, who was a who's a big lover of Moto, um, he he talked in you know a lot in detail about his approach and so on um what's your take on hard surface like what is the thing that makes you kind of click about this um process what do you like this kind of content what makes it so interesting you mentioned autocad a couple of times are you into more like this almost like mathematical engineering approach or do you see kind of beauty in these um you know playing around with metal sort of like and creating like this art out of uh, kind of like more strict, I guess, constructions. Yeah, we mentioned mathematics. I actually have a degree in mathematics. That's what I studied in school. Um, I had a particular focus in graph theory, which I don't know if you're familiar. Graph theory is the foundation of a, a branch of mathematics that 3D software is built on. Um, so I really 
enjoyed those classes and I don't need, you know, math degree to be good in 3D, but um, it was really focused on topology, just the stuff you do in Blender. That degree kind of gave me at least the graph theory focus, gave me this much more intuitive understanding of like topology and how things work. So not to like sound arrogant at all. I just think I have a general better under better intuitive understanding of kind of how the whole back end of 3D works, which kind of helps my workflow. So kind of combining that with hard surface modeling, which I just enjoyed better. I think the workflow is easier. I think it's more fun compared to like sculpting or organic modeling or whatever that may be. Um, I just like focusing strictly on hard surface because the thought process is more in line with, you know, when I was studying mathematics and I, it's just a particular uh, way of thinking, I think. And I just enjoyed hard surface modeling in general. And I think it's something that a lot of people, the barrier to entry is not super difficult compared to something like sculpting or, um, you know, sub D modeling. If you want to go that route, uh, I think hard surface modeling is a really good start to get into blender and I think that's another reason a lot of people have been picking it up recently, why the channel over the past two years has been doing really well, because there's just not a ton of hard surface modeling resources out there. Um, and I kind of bridged the gap between like an easy to start type of workflow and also like more advanced workflows if people want to dive even deeper. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I just, you were saying this and I was recollecting about my first experience with 3ds max because i remember i don't even i don't remember the year exactly but it was a long long time ago so i got this cd with 3ds max something something and of course it was all at the time it was hacked or somewhere it's 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 not really that i went to a distributor and bought it so i got this cd and there was um some kind of tutorial on it. Of course, it was all in text, no video, and just slides. And I was, I, th I think I was modeling like a like a jet. And I was so amazed that you can take like a rectangular thing, and out of it create this the entire thing <laughs> that, that is uh, that looks like a real thing. And I I was that was kind of like for me was a big wow moment and i thought i i think for a lot of people it still is like this um kind of like the, when you when you take nothing basically right and like an empty square and then you create uh an entirely functional kind of like thing that you can see and then you can you know iterate create more and so on. And i think this is like what of what the magic of uh hard surfaces for a lot of people because it's like cars planes the things that you see all, all the time, every day, and now suddenly you can become almost like an engineer or a designer that can start thinking about it. You know what else is interesting um, is hard surface modeling kind of, for me at least, had benefits outside of just knowing Blender. Like if you really focus down on hard surface, it's not just about modeling or learning how to use the tools in Blender. It extends, like that's 10% of the work. The other 90 is like, understanding visual balance designs how to how shapes play with each other and what i've noticed is that really getting that understanding that <clears throat> that natural understanding 
a visual balance and all these different things that really make a model look cool to the human eye that kind of branches out into all sorts of other areas of life, like the way you dress, the way, um, you know, you might design your house or it's all sorts of things, the way you can present yourself and the way you can see things. Um, it really helps enhance your overall skill of just understanding shapes and colors and just visuals in general. Um, for example, I just moved to a new apartment and I've completely carried all the skills from hard surface modeling to make my own nice modern design. And before even people starting with hard surface modeling, they'll slap detail everywhere. They'll have like really bad lighting. They won't post process their work. These are all common issues, but once you overcome those obstacles and you just know how to create a really clean, visually appealing render, that's what I like the most about hard surfaces. It kind of carries out and, and builds this intuitive feel of shapes and colors and designs. And it's really, really interesting once you kind of master that. Josh, I, I, I totally relate with you, and I love the passion that you're, uh, with which you're talking about these things. Um, since we're talking about this, this approach and this approach to design in general, do you have some very good examples of like hard surface, surface design that you like? It can be in uh, games or maybe in film or animation, something that really uh, stood out to you, and maybe you could explain a little bit why. And then we'll use uh, this and we'll post some illustrations in a video so other people could have a look at uh, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, video games, I made a video about a year or two ago uh, where you can pretty much use video games. I, I don't play games so much anymore, but I do use it as inspiration. And I think Star Citizen, the game, let's be real, it's not even really playable. It's like a art simulator for me. Star Citizen is fantastic. They have some of the best hard surface designs I've ever seen. My partner Ryu actually made a video dissecting some of the models, if anyone watching this wants to see that, and just kind of how the models are built, how they're using shapes and inspiration from nature, and just really breaking down like how the whole thing was constructed. So Star Citizen is a great resource, um, but you have to also keep in mind everyone has their own style. I have My style is very neutral, sleek, like modern-looking designs, so... You won't catch me using a ton of colors. I'll generally be using neutrals, blacks, whites, grays. I'll have just very sleek lighting, usually just one HDRI, maybe a point lamp somewhere in the scene. So that's my style. So I'm going to obviously be a bit biased in uh, my type of style, but other, I guess, you know, you have Star Citizen, you have other games out there, but some artists I'd really recommend people check out. My personal favorite artists are um, Ivan Santic. I probably didn't pronounce his name correct. He goes by Mother, uh, M-O-T-H, the letter, uh, number three, R. Uh, he has really good stuff. Aiden Grazio, really love his work. And it's really just a matter of figuring out like what games, what people kind of share your style and how can you use that stuff to develop your own style. So um, that's probably... I guess that answers your question, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was thinking for myself, the, the ones I like um, most, um, very hard to say, very hard to nail down because there's just so many. Uh, the ones that, in terms of gaming, stand out to me, it's probably 
those games that uh, Machine Games is building. Uh, those guys from Sweden, I think. Uh, they did uh, Wolfenstein. And, uh, oh boy, like those uh, guns that they're making there, where it's like this overbuilt on top of overbuilt, and they are like heavy, huge, uh, and all that design in environment and everything is like brutal, kind of like hard surface gore fest almost. And the other one um, that really stands out to me, uh, I think it's uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, where there is like, I, it's not really hard surface, hard surface, right? Because it's a lot of sculpting there. But it is a very interesting for me in terms of modeling uh, combination of kind of like this organic and robotic and how they created these like robotic, you know, alligators and dinosaurs and all this stuff. That's like fascinating. That's an entirely different take on reality. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting once you mastered all the tools, you know how to use Blender, you know the modeling tools, you know even the intricacies down to like stuff that's not super important, like miter type on the bevel modifier or dealing with shading, topology management. Once you kind of know the whole workflow and you just know how to use the tools, it gives you this complete creative freedom to hop into whatever style you want. If you want to go for like a Horizon Zero Dawn style, you can do that. If you want to go through, for my type of style, just very sleek and modern, you can do that. If you want to go for more like hybrid, organic, hard surface type meshes, you can do that as well because all you need for the hard surface modeling workflow is just the basic set of skills to apply to whatever area you want to go into. And um, that's why I like it so much because you're not locked in. You just need to know the tools and then you can apply that to any design style you want. Josh, kind of like I want to double down on what you just said, because um, in studios, really, this is how you do it, right? So if you go to any kind of like work environment, it's not that you're locked into a particular workflow. Of course, studios do have it because sometimes it's like proprietary technology or some plugins that they have. But a lot of time you do have some flexibility to play around and touch on different angles and uh, try different tools. And this kind of brings me to the next question, because before one of the big barriers of kind of like adoption of Blender would be that it's not, you know, you know it's not being used by big game companies, right? They, they would use something that is, you know, from Autodesk or some other provider where it's um, because of the security reasons and so, so other elements. Do you see this uh, change in recent years? Do you see people with... You know, with remote work and with COVID, it seems like a lot of work is being outsourced. A lot of work is being done on your own computers back at home uh, where it's not really that relevant. Or maybe there's still this barrier. Can you maybe share your uh, opinion on that? I think for a lot of people, especially when COVID started, like for me, for example, uh, right around when COVID started is also the time my channel started doing really well and picking up. And I'd argue, I'm just guessing, I'm assuming, that's because everyone was either getting laid off or they had more time, they were working from home, and they were just kind of fed up with whatever work they were currently doing and wanted to pick up a new hobby. And I think, you know, after COVID hit, um, it really opened the doors for a lot of people to start working remotely. And in the past three years, almost four of just really hammering out content, 
Um, a lot of people that I've, you know, coached or taught or whatever that have started getting jobs and getting work, you know, using Blender, pretty much everyone, either they're working for a studio and oftentimes even that's remote or they're just doing freelance work remotely or starting a business and they're using Blender as part of that business. I don't really know anyone who doesn't have the opportunity anymore to just sit at home, use Blender, and as long as they're good at what they do, provide that value to their company or to their client or whoever it is. Um, or maybe they're just working for themselves. Everyone's been going remote recently uh, with Blender. And I think the main reason that happened is simply because uh, because COVID occurred. So, Yeah, it was, it was kind of like, yeah, I think it was kind of like a curse and a blessing in a way for the industry because, of course, it was a horrible tragedy for a lot of people. But at the same time, it kind of pushed the companies to be more flexible. And even on our end, we see if, if before companies were kind of like pushing everyone to go in the office, now we see so much more flexibility and there's like distributed workflows and people work from home. And I, I think it just makes for a better life for a 3D artist. Yeah, and people then, are happier, man. They're just happier working at home. Like, that's the truth. Yeah, especially in these uh, in these kind of roles where it's like a lot of modeling. So there, there's of course advantages of kind of like working with the team. And this is uh, this is why I wanted to kind of like uh, talk in the next question because um, a lot of people are saying that you learn a lot when you're in the office. And yesterday we recorded a podcast where we talked about how a junior guy would just kind of like lean over and look at the seniors guy computer and just learn the workflow, just look at how he works. And um, I'm wondering what's your, do you feel like YouTube is a little bit of a substitute for that now where you kind of look at this workflow on your channel or, you know, you Google something else. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The way, the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Yeah, YouTube's interesting. I um, I mean, I learned Blender on YouTube. I was using Blender Guru's tutorials, uh, CG Cookie back in the day, CG Masters were a big one. I learned from all these different channels. Uh, and I learned Blender completely on YouTube, you know, maybe a bit of Google and forums or whatever. But I, th I think YouTube's good to really get that foundational skill and just get all the information you need. And what I'd really encourage people, and I didn't even notice this myself until maybe a year or two ago, is that investing in yourself, spending money on higher educational resources, that might be for you university. I'm not a big fan of universities nowadays for other reasons, um, but it can be useful. And for some people that might be a great option. Um, 
The other thing you can do is you can invest in online courses, whoever that might be with. Maybe there's a specific mentor you like. He has some programs. Go buy the program. You're going to get so much more information, spending a bit of money and just really having this, you know, you might get decades of experience from someone just investing 50, 100, 200 bucks into a program that they have developed. Then you're just not going to get the same level of quality on YouTube as a completely structured curriculum that someone really sat down and spent time developing. So YouTube's great. What I think is even greater, and even for me with my business, I've spent so much money recently in coaching and attending events and attending seminars. And the ROI on investing in these things, yes, I had to spend a lot of money up front, but the ROI you get in terms of knowledge and how much that expedites and saves you time is completely invaluable. It's, you know, I, I recently attended a conference um, for the provider I use for our website. Um, it's a lot of business owners. I spent a thousand bucks to attend and I easily got twenty to $30,000 worth of information and value from it easily. And I think the same thing can happen for people learning Blender or 3D or anything is use YouTube to kind of get that foundation. But if you're serious about it, you need to dive deeper and find someone you like and that you trust, see if they have any programs and just invest a bit of money into those. And the amount of ROI you're going to get is absolutely insane. That's been my experience. And I think it's the same for a lot of people that have actually, you know, invested some money into different things like that. They get a lot higher ROI compared to something like YouTube. Josh, thank you for that. And, um, yeah, I kind of have to agree with you because there are so many schools and we work with so many great schools where it's not even that expensive. Like if it's, if you compare it with a traditional university where you need to take a student loan and it's like it's this crippling debt, uh, you can spend like 600 bucks or like a thousand bucks and get a very solid course and just use it and use it as a like a base and then build on top of it and move forward. And I kind of have a question related to that. So we talked a little bit about education and the, the way to pay for it and get great value or just kind of like watching it on YouTube or Googling it and so on. And uh, this kind of brings us to this question, which I, I'm sure you're getting a lot is, you know, that there are experiments where you just, you know, use an algorithms or some machine learning and it just spits out a model for you. Like it looks at a bunch of you know, stuff, and then it creates a kettle or, or something else, you know, a chair. Um, what's your take on this? Like, how do you feel these new developments are going to do? Are they going to benefit uh, the industry? Are they going to benefit the modeler in, in general? Or is this something that we should be kind of cautious of? Yeah, I was actually talking about this recently. I was, uh, I was in Austin uh, about a month ago. I was with Chip Walters and Master Zeon, the developer of HardOps, we had a lunch together. We were actually discussing this a bit, and they were both bringing up, you know, similar concerns that you know there's very well going to be a point where you type in some what like Photoshop's doing it now. You type in some letters or sentences or whatever, and it spits out exactly what you want. I mean, who's to say? Sometime in the future, I can't type in design me a sci-fi rocket ship with three propellers and whatever else. And it spits that out in five seconds. I understand that's a real concern and it's 
definitely something that's probably going to happen. My take on this whole thing is I'm just rolling with the punches. What's going to happen? Like you have two different groups of people. You have these people who just give up and say, Oh, this whole AI stuff is going to take over. There's no point starting. And it's, it's basically a loser's mindset. I, I don't accept that. The way I work is I adapt to whatever technology is coming out. I mean, there's so much technology I've been using recently. Chat GPT, of course, uh, the Photoshop AI stuff, like all this stuff has not been destroying my workflow. It's been enhancing it. And it's the way you think about it. You know, you can have the doom and gloom mindset where it's just going to take over and you're not going to be able to do anything with 3D. Or you can roll with the punches, figure out what's coming and just adapt to it. Figure out how can I use these tools, even if it might hurt me in my industry, it might take me over or whatever. How can I use that and become the best at something else using those tools so I'm still just as valuable? That's the way I think about it. I'm not concerned at all because I enjoy a bit of a challenge. I enjoy when things come out that can actually help my workflow, even though uh, to a pessimist, it might seem like, oh, this is just going to replace me. So I don't know what's going to happen, obviously. I can see the technology advancing very quickly, but I'm excited to start using it and using it to enhance my workflow, not to destroy it. Um. I, I love this answer, and I have an analogy from photography. Um, there are basically two ways of looking at it, right? So when digital photography kind of came, all the people who with analog cameras were saying, like, look, this is not real, you know, this is, like, not true photography, photography. Just, like, ages before that, people were saying the same about photography and, like, painting, right? Um, but if you go online now, you will see, like, there's, like, Tons of people who are using old cameras, old film cameras, and they're capturing this, and then they're using like some very <laughs> expensive like uh, Sony cameras to scan the negative, put it in Photoshop, apply some kind of like and so on. And uh, there's a cautionary. It's, it's sort of like an inspiring thing. I don't want to say that traditional modeling is going to become like analog photography, but uh, there's also a cautionary tale there where. Uh, a company, Kodak, which actually kind of developed one of the first prototypes of digital cameras. It never really, you know, it never really jumped uh, the gun and kind of like they never really developed into, into a product uh, and never really stuck with it. And where is Kodak now, right? They're, they're selling analog, uh, you know, film <laughs> right now. But at the same time, a company like Fuji, who started in the same kind of like a pool right now they're like super successful they're selling digital cameras and they are using a lot of that uh, know-how from their analog days uh, still developing and building film <laughs> for analog cameras they're still integrating that into the um, into their digital products and I think this is something that that's gonna happen eventually that uh, as an art form I don't think modeling is gonna be you know gone I don't think that people would just rely on, you know, algorithms or machines to create something for themselves. I don't feel like ever you would see, you know, Ferrari or somebody saying like, no, no, this is like a, a more efficient design. Because this, this is like not about, like humans are irrational. Like we're not really uh, into into these things. Uh, but at the same time, I do feel like I agree with you that it's 
it's just going to be like a part of the workflow and you just have to stick with it and try to figure out a way how to use it for your benefit. Yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all a mindset thing. It's just a matter of how you perceive it. I mean, there's pretty much, you could argue for pretty much any industry, accounting, design, or just, you know, those checkout clerks at a grocery, grocery store, right? Like you can argue that pretty much any of these people would be replaced. And I'd argue they're not going to be replaced. They're just going to adapt to new things that come about. Um, if you're just going to accept failure and defeat from technology, I mean, that's just a really bad mindset to have. Uh, I'd rather just focus on the optimal side of things and how I can use this technology to make my life easier because that's essentially what's going to happen. Josh, so to kind of like end up on an optimistic note, um, what kind of advice would you give to a person who, as yourself, once was a student and they wanted to learn more a little bit uh, about 3D modeling and computer graphics in general, what are like the three things they need to do in order to get better? Well, I could use the normal cliche, you know, work hard, don't give up type of thing, but I think that's a bit uh, useless because everyone's saying that. I think the best thing you can do realistically is have a good positive mindset. Really, you know, read self-help books, go to the gym, do things that put your mind in a much more optimistic place where you don't feel depressed, you feel happy, you feel excited to work, you're energetic, you don't have brain fog. These things that I started incorporating, the good habits over the past few years, I feel amazing. You know, a lot I've been eating better. A lot of that brain fog has gone away, allowing me to really focus on what I want to do. You know, I get excited to go work out because it makes me feel good. And all these different types of things, just general mental and physical, apply easily to someone learning 3D because they're already in a good mood. They already feel good. They're already excited to learn versus someone who just has a really weak mindset. The moment they hit a like, minor roadblock, what are they going to do? They're just going to quit. That's usually what happens. They have this negative, pessimistic mindset. So the moment they run into something difficult, they can't overcome it. They haven't built their mind to where it needs to be. So the first thing you can do is really just work on mindset because everyone at some point doesn't have the best mindset. And over time, it's something that you can just improve on. So now, you know, whenever I hit roadblocks, whether it's, you know, financially or within 3D, whatever it may be, I always have a positive outlook in it because that's just kind of how I've been training my mind over the past few years, like self-development, right? So I think that's the number one thing a lot of people can do because it's very easy for us as 3D artists to sit at home. You know, we're kind of anxious. We don't talk to a lot of people. We don't get a lot of sunlight. It's very easy for us to fall into that trap. So I think just taking those steps to improve your mind is number one. Uh, number two is... There's no shortcut, right? Like you have to consistently show up and do the work. I mean, the work needs doing. There's no way around it. People want to be like, I'll see people start Blender for a month and then they'll start posting gigs on Fiverr and they'll wonder why they're not getting any clients. Well, brother, you don't know marketing. You don't know how to make a good looking design. You don't know your lighting. You don't know your rendering. You're unconfident. All these things compound and it makes you feel like a loser when in reality, you just haven't put in enough work yet, right? It's, um, so that's the number one or number two thing. You really need to put in the work and be consistent with it. 
and just keep training, keep learning, keep improving your skills. That's number two. And number three, I think would be you need to figure out like what exactly, what area you want to focus on because I make tutorials kind of for me four years ago, knowing what I would want, but you might not want the same thing as me. So figure out how whatever you're learning, whether it's the tools or the software, how can you use what you're learning and apply it to your own style and apply it to whatever you're trying to do specifically. If you want to work at a studio, you're going to need to take a different approach to someone who wants to become an entrepreneur, for example, and teach people. You need to figure out you know, what steps you need to take to get you to that particular goal and don't just follow someone mindlessly, right? So I think those are the big three. Josh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're almost out of it. Um, we'll leave the links in the description to your channel and to your website so people can check out. Uh, thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.